Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording. This is Jennifer Northington and I. She's sitting in for Rebecca. Hello. Because I was out yesterday with drama that is neither here nor there. Uh, and we're, Jen is stepping in for Rebecca, and we're going to talk about stuff. The back half of this episode, you will now, then you will hear Rebecca again with me. We're doing an interview. And I'm going to, you know, it's going to be, it's a special one, a little bit different than normal, but hang on to the back half of the episode for that. But Jen's going to talk to me about. Um, I'm going to, I brought Jen in whenever Jen comes in, I kind of have a couple of Jen questions. Uh, <laughs> usually they're about bookstore book selling related things and then science fiction and fantasy. So I'm going to ask Jen to talk about what the books of the year so far have been in science fiction and fantasy, what the new releases coming out are interested in. And we're going to talk about some supply chain, but before I do that, I want to remind you all that we have our special experimental bonus content episode available. Um, go to bookriot.com slash fall draft. That'll redirect you to Gumroad where you can pay what you will for the fall preview draft that Rebecca and I did. You can listen to us do our picks for the most... What we do there is we try to pick a basket of 10 books that would best satisfy the general but unknown reader. It's kind of a weird conceit, but that's what we do. You can also then, you know, it's pay what you will. So you can either stream it through Gumroad or you can download the MP3 to listen to however you want. It's DRM free. It's going to be available through Thanksgiving. Um, and then once you're done, you can vote for either Rebecca or I. We will be taking votes through Thanksgiving. So I'm not going to tip my hand about who may or may not be winning or losing right now. Don't want to influence the vote. Um, but all we had a really good time. It's a really strong fall and already gotten a really a lot of strong feedback about the whole situation. So we'd like to know your experience also of using Gumroad and how that all goes too, as we're in experimental mode here. All right, bookriot.com slash fall draft for that. Do a quick sponsor break, then I'm going to hit Jen with some questions. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. 
This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Jen, would you like to start with your favorite reads of the year so far, or do you want to look ahead? Because Jen hosts, co-hosts, Get Booked, and um, SFF Yeah, so you do... General and specific. Do you want to start general or specific? Jen, yeah, yeah. Because I gotta uh, pick your brain. Well, okay, but before I do that, do we need to talk about how we're still hiring? We do need to talk about that. Can you do that? You already want me to do sure, that. Sure, I can do yeah, that. Take yeah. that for a quick. So we are. Gosh, do we have one or two positions open right now? I believe it's two. We're two, definitely we're two. definitely hiring an ad operations associate. Yeah, there is two that are open, and there might be a third coming up later, but we can't. Yeah, talk about that's that right. We can't talk about that yet. But yes, so ad operations associate, which is. Let me tell you, super important. <laughs> so important. <laughs> because they help out with making sure that all of our clients get what they need, that our editorial team gets what they need, like lots of important things there. Also a lot of data entry, for the record. Yeah. Um, and then we're still looking for a full stack engineer, if I recall correctly, for we the are. development team. And so all of the information about what specifically we're w- looking for, what those jobs involve, you can get that at bookriot.com slash join dash us. So yes, come come work with us. We're, we're all right. I think we're, we're all okay. right. We've yeah. been all right on we're, the whole so cool-ish. far. I would say the, the full stack web engineer <laughs> If you know what that is, you might be qualified for it. If you don't, you're not. So right, don't worry that's about right. that. That AdOps, that AdOps associate one, I think you could be sort of a generally competent person. There's no specific mm-hmm. technical requirements there. So if you're looking you know, to, to see what that job is like, go look and see what that's like. Because there's a lot of different people out there. We work remotely. We have supported jurisdictions for weeks. Or it's not, we don't count by weeks anymore. We count by hours of PTO. Um, 401k, it's, these are all full-time jobs. They're good. Healthcare, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, We like, we like those things. We do. I, I, we both, we both like and enjoy (laughs) them on a daily basis. (laughs) Okay. Indeed. All right. Okay. So books of the year. So I actually misunderstood your question, Jeff. And cause I was thinking about my personal books of the year as opposed to. I would, I want them both. Give it everything you've got. You want to talk about. I'm here for you to recommend (laughs) things to me. All right, so so quickly, three of my favorite books of the year, which are mm. actually none technically category science fiction and fantasy. Totally fine. Uh, are, first is She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which is like speculative historical fiction. Mm. Based is that on... something you and Sharifa would cover on your show? You is this know, kind of book? I keep changing my mind about it to I be know, perfectly I honest. Know, I, I keep know, I you know, know it's a border case. It's an edge case. So it has ghosts in it. 
But there's not magic. Well, there is sort of magic. See, see, it's shifty, Jeff. Yes, it's, it's so it's, tough. It's tricksy. It's tricksy. That's why I'm calling it speculative. But it's yeah. so, so incredibly good. It's so, 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 so good. This uh, came out in July. So it hasn't been out that long, it doesn't look like? No, no. And I really want everybody to read it. It's amazing. First of all, it's amazing historical fiction based on Chinese history, specifically. Mm. I'm going to get my error wrong, so I'm not even going to say it. But, like, it's it's real good and it's a it's a gender bent story that also then takes aim at the damage that having a gender binary male female Mm. binary does to everyone involved and it's got amazing battle sequences and martial arts and you know just all the good stuff it's got all the good stuff in it so i gotta read this book because you do i like historical fiction i also like speculative fiction writ large Mm. um I don't think you were in the room for this, but Rebecca and I once had what has now become sort of a legendary between us, at least three hour argument yes. about the relationship of speculative fiction to yeah. science fiction and fantasy. <laughs> and and Jen basically is saying that neither of us were right. That is an edge case. Depends on how you think of it. Um, but this one sounds like it's even an edge on an edge, a corner case, as we say, where yeah. two, two edges sort of meet there. I guess the other thing that's important to me is it looks like this is a standalone, Jen. Is it, it a standalone? It is actually not, Jeff. It is the oh, first in a series. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, this is book one of one of the Radiant Emperor. I was like, come on. Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> sorry, Jeff. I know it's your personal oh, nemesis. No. Books so, how many, you, how many am I in for then? I don't I'm know. I think it's, I don't, I would hesitate to say because I don't know for sure. Even worse. That's even worse. It could be a trilogy i just don't know i don't know so if it were a duology i could sign up today yeah that it may or may not be a trilogy or more very tough i'm not saying that somebody doesn't know i'm just saying i don't know so we have further research required can i just say that people should write whatever they want and people don't read like me i think it's weird not to know what we're in for don't you think that's weird but i'm just saying could could someone tell me like if i'm signing up for this could it say the beginning of the 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 emperor trilogy quadrilogy pentology whatever the word for what wheel of time is now which i want to talk oh my gosh um i don't that just a hint all those marketing people out there if this is something that could be known again if parker chan doesn't know you're going to play it by ear you want to see how it sells i totally get that but if you do know, oh, it's oh, a I'd duology. Like it's a duology. Okay, because with with N.K. Jemisin, I'm fine because it's like it's right. a duology. I can read the one. I'm maybe waiting two years. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if it's a trilogy, I'm like I'm nine years away from maybe the third one coming out. Right, tough. right. Can be it's, very tough. This one is a duology. Okay, that's that helps me. I can okay. maybe get on the board a little bit earlier. All right. Um, okay, good. That's a really great pick because Rebecca and I are not great at science and fiction and fantasy. So when we're doing our previews, we are light, I think would be the charitable mm. term for science fiction and fantasy. So She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. As always, I'm going to put this stuff in the show notes, bookriot.com slash listen for the books we talk about there. Okay. What else you got for me? Well, I really loved The Rib King by Lady Hubbard. Is that on so your talk, radar? So listen, I saw Liberty love this. Mm-hmm. I bought it. It's on my e-reader. I read six pages and I guess I floated away. Okay. So I, I, I'm ready to be re-engaged. Talk to me about this. I I do think it's sort of an odd read because okay. it is historical fiction, right? Early 20th century. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, It takes place, ooh, is it, it's like Massachusetts, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But I think it's New Englandy. y Yeah, yeah, it's very New Englandy, And it uh, follows several black folks who work in 
the house of a white entrepreneur and have different relationships with that job, with each other. You switch POVs a couple times. And it's also, I mean, it's it's most clearly about the co-opting of the products and literal bodies of mm-hmm. black folks in the marketing of like goods. So like, you know, we're talking about like Aunt Jemima here. Right. Basically. Uncle Ben. You Uncle know, ben. You know yeah, ones. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that, but you know, the Rib King. And you know, it's so interesting because I so I read Lady Hubbard's other book, which I loved, which I now on the spot am forgetting the, the name. The Talented of. Ribkins, I Thank think. you, the That's, Talented yeah. Ribkins. And when I picked this one up, I was like, Oh, it's the prequel to the Talented Ribkins. But it's kind of not. Like it is and it isn't. Because the Talented Ribkins is also speculative fiction, right? This is it, it involves characters who have supernatural powers for reasons mm-hmm. we don't know and we don't care. They just it just is it's what happens and we don't we don't right. know why, it just is. But this one, there's nothing supernatural about this. It is straight-up historical fiction, and Hmm. it's so sharp. Like, it actually hurts me to think about some of the scenes. And I can only imagine what that experience might be for, you know, a person who has been affected by this, you know, continuing phenomenon, somebody in the black and brown communities. Um, But it's real sharp. And I think that it is not uh, the most right off the bat accessible I guess okay. is like I, I don't I didn't have any trouble getting into it but I can see how you might bounce off of it because well, it's not a warm ahead. tone right and like you do have to work a little but I think it's totally worth it I, I, I think my problem was I'm not one of those people that doesn't want to know anything about a book I don't of need course. to know spoilers but I like what am I what mental model like what am I you know saddled up for here am yeah. I having a dinner party is it just drinks you know right. is it apps like I need to know and I didn't know anything. I just went on because Liberty said, like, this is my favorite book of the year. Yeah. It's awesome. It's amazing. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm in. And then I got into it. And I, and I was I was just like, I don't know. I didn't know what. I think even that much I'm ready. Because now I'm looking. It's like, okay, it's historical fiction. Mm-hmm. It's not. And I think maybe I had seen that the Talented Ribkins was speculative fiction. Yeah. And so I was a little betwixt in between. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have anything... I wasn't ready to hold on to anything, like uh, a few breadcrumbs for myself. So that, that's that's super helpful. And a lot of people loved it. A lot of people really, really liked this book. And I think there's, in the early part of this year, there's a few books. Now, this is not her debut, but there's a couple of debuts. There's The Prophets, there's Black yes. Book, there's this book that are like maybe historical fiction, also kind of not debut, mm-hmm. second authors, but they're not Colson. They're not Jasmine. Right. They're, like they're, they're not yeah, Jesse. Like which I think is a very exciting strat I've talked about, and, and you're actually going to hear in the interview Rebecca and I do a little bit later about how how deep the field is for Black writers right now, and all the opportunities, and then all kinds of genres, mm-hmm. and then mixing genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I'm going to have to I have to. I definitely am reading this book before the year is out. I don't know when I'm going to get to it. Also, it came out in January. So yeah. it's like an early, it was out of the gate, yeah. which can be tough for books, of, sort of things yeah. that win awards and everything else in the rest of the year. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Those are, did you have any other general purpose gen phase before we get into the, the fall stuff? Yeah, yeah. So just a quick shout out to a book I just finished like okay. a day or two ago. Right on. Between Two Kingdoms by mm. Suleika Jawad. This is a memoir. It is a cancer memoir. Uh, like, be ready. If you, yeah. if that's a thing that, you know, is not going to work for you, you should right. know. But it's also a road trip memoir. And it is so extremely good. And it's, I mean, 
I, I didn't realize this because I didn't see it, but Jawad had a column on the New York Times site about living with cancer called Life Interrupted. Mm. And so this is like her book. This is her book uh, that came out of sort of that column. But it's yeah. it is so deep. It is so complicated. The nuances of living with an illness and being chronically ill and, you know, hospitalizations and what it does to you, what it does to the people around you, that caregiver, Mm -hmm. patient relationship, how that impacts everything in your life. And then actually the recovery process, because I think, you know, Joad says nobody talks about the recovery part and how hard that is. Like, okay, so you're in remission. Now what? Like, theoretically, Mm. you run off into the mist with unicorns, right? You're free. You're well. But that's not true. That's not how it works. And so exploring that topic, it's so, it really goes deep. It goes really, really, really deep. And Mm. I also will say I love a road trip memoir. Like I, I, too. I think about like Blue Highways, for example, by William Least Heat Moon. Which Look, was... I read, I talked about this on the show a while ago, and I, it's like I was talking to a wall. Rebecca, yeah. I don't remember. I was like, "What are you?" T-? And no one in the email said, "Yeah, I, I love that book." I that was like a William. Lee, it's interesting, kind of a forgotten voice, weirdly, kind yes. of a huge deal there for a little yes. while, right? Yeah, and a pivotal pivotal book for me growing up. I mean, I came across that book as a teenager and I think it really shaped. How did you pick that up as a teenager? Gosh, I don't even know, Jeff. Okay. I mean, how did I find any of these books yeah, as a teenager? Yeah, that's a great like, point. Probably knows? looking at the paperback favorites at Barnes & Noble No, I mean, more likely it was because we did, we spelunked in thrift stores for our books for the most part. Oh. We got like one or two Barnes & Noble trips a year for new books and then the rest of the time it was thrift store or the library. So I'm sure that it was, you know, in the 50 cent bin or something and I grabbed it. But but yeah, so 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 that is she does her own sort of version mm. of that. And it's great. It's really good. Um, but a rough a rough read for sure. Emotionally content wise. It's it's intense. We were talking recently uh, when Rebecca and I did the episode on crying in H Mart um, by yeah. Michelle Zoner, which I really liked. We were talking about how a straight ahead food memoir anymore. It's a very it's a food cooking memoir. It's mm. a pretty crowded field right now. Mm-hmm. And a cancer memoir that's been sort of done, but you cross the streams, you're remixing. So like yes. you got a cancer plus a food, and now we got a road trip plus a, so you get the pathos, but it's not all cancer wards kind of stuff, you know, which which has been done a, a lot of it. You trying to figure out how these identities and experiences overlap and yeah. inform each other. I've had, I've had this on my list too, and I've shied away because of the, the cancer stuff, frankly. Mm-hmm, and I, you know mm-hmm. that, but also I love the cover of this. It's got one of those oh, old so micro buses, and she's sitting on top of it, and it's like it looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. Did you? You're not an audio person. I was thinking this is going to be an audio for me at some point in the future. So I, we'll I bet it would be a good audio experience. I bet it would be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are Jen's picks. Um, Oh, right. But so really quickly. Yes, really quickly. uh, We just did a show actually on Mm -hmm. SFF. Link in the show notes. I'll put it there. Yeah. 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 For our our fall release picks, like the the ones we're most anticipating. Mm -hmm. And uh, so so those picks are there. But I will say that one of the books that we have on there, Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki, I've actually read it already. And it is so funny, but also so thoughtful about trauma and how we move through it and it's got fantasy and science fiction it's got donuts it's got aliens it's got music it's got everything it's got everything Mm. so Mm. that's like gonna be one of my favorites of the year also and everybody should be anticipating it Mm. i almost picked something on your long list here uh 
certain dark things that's oh, yeah. out now. Yes, um, Silvia Moreno Garcia. Mm-hmm. One of the that's more actually, that's a reprint, seductive though. colors. Oh, it is. I don't think I see. I lose track of this. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's um, been out for a minute, but it's it's a reissue, which is great because it was not easy to get a hold of for a while yeah, there. Good for her, man. Yeah, that's no awesome doubt to see that stuff get um, front and center. Okay, so those are Jen's picks, things to look out for, and I'm going to link to the show you and Sharifa did recently. So if people want to check that out and they don't normally, they can. We're going to do another quick sponsor break, and then uh, we'll talk some other stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is a perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Jen, we didn't talk about this. So it's a big science fiction fantasy adaptation, may, maybe one of the biggest gauntlets of all time coming out in the next three months, right? Because when does Wheel of Time come out? November. Is that next fall? It's November. November. It's November. We got, we got Dune, Foundation, Wheel of Time yeah. in like a nine-week stretch. How are you holding up? Are you sleeping <laughs> at night? Or is everything going okay? I'm so nervous, Jeff. I'm <laughs> So nervous. Actually, I take it back. I'm not nervous about the foundation because I have no personal stakes. I know you okay. have personal stakes in the foundation. But yeah, I think I'm not going to be sad if it's bad because okay. the books stand on their own. I, sure. I, you know, I'm not one of those people that think the the the, the book can do damage to it. I, I guess if you're a young writer and like it's your first thing, and then I don't know. But like foundation has an existence outside. I don't think it's going to be bad. I think at the very least it'll be beautiful and boring. Yes. For foundation. Yeah. Right. Right. How are you? Let's go one by one. We've talked about Dune for the last 58 years that this adaptation was coming, I think, about. That's right? correct. That's correct. Because um, you and I talked about the trailer 900 yeah. years ago, pre pandemic, I think, at this yes. point, which is yes. wild. 
So and we, reviews, do you remember? Are, do you look at reviews? Do you we, look at reviews at all? So or I'm early avoiding, buzz for stuff? Okay. I'm avoiding reviews of Dune because I, I am, I have a lot of complicated feelings about mm. the casting and then yes. what I saw in the trailer and just ever. I have so many complicated feelings about it. It looks, it looks, aesthetics look great. It looks like it costs nine billion dollars. It looks yes, unbelievable. Nine billions of dollars, no doubt. Yeah. It looks unbelievable, and many of those actors are extremely good actors. Yeah. I just don't know how I'm going to feel about how they do this. Hard to get. You're, you're having some reservations about getting full throatedly excited about the whole prospect. That's fair. I am. That's fair. I am. Yeah. I'm actually expecting to be like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Fair. I don't know why, Jeff. I don't That's know fine. why. You get to go in with whatever baggage you want to bring. Oh, it's all so up to you. So yeah, much baggage. Yeah. So much baggage. Let's much. talk about Wheel of Time because you have, you have, a relationship with that. I think a fairly <laughs> strong one is fair at this point. But and also, I don't think now again. I haven't followed it as closely because I've never done any Wheel of Time because that's a commitment, and yeah, I, yeah. I'm a man of of many interests. Um, let's put it that way. It's mm-hmm. it's it's all me. It's not it. Mm-hmm. What what is the Wheel of Time fan community if there is one, or like how are Wheel of Times feeling right now about this project that that exists at all, the particular execution? Yeah. Give me the coverage on the mood of your people at this point. So my people, we just got a trailer. We just got a trailer. And again, aesthetics, A++, it does look like they spent at least five All the dollars. If not nine billion. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. many dollars were spent on this. I think a lot of people are very excited about it. They like the mood that I'm seeing is overwhelmingly jazzed. I, again, have some concerns. Because of certain things that we saw in the trailer, I have concerns that they are going to, they've aged up the characters and I worry that they're going to go dark in a way that is very Uh. different from the source material. And there's nothing wrong with complicating the morality of good versus evil, but, but... If you head too far into that grim dark, I think you lose something essential from the mm. spirit of the book. It's a like different the, thing. It's it a, different a different thing. thing. It's just yeah. literally a different thing. And and that might be okay. Like maybe I will come to a place where I'm like the show is one thing, the books are another. But I think part of my baggage around this is that I'm so hoping that they improve on the way ah. that uh, diversity is represented in these books. Because, you know, Robert Jordan was a dude writing in a time. And he borrowed, borrowed, appropriated very heavily from cultures around the world and religions around the world in ways that are problematic, to say the least, sometimes mm. and get very bad in certain. But places. not unsalvageable. It sounds like if well, someone I were to think come in with the could right, do something really yeah. interesting in the same way that, like, why the last man, which is also getting adapted and had Charlie Jane Andrews in the writing room, has grappled mm. with. This, like, again, the issue of a gender binary and how biology is not destiny and is not even not even that specific in the first place. So, like, somebody could do something really interesting with the Wheel of Time. But if they were so focused on, like, getting it sexy and dark, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. The cast is amazing. Again, amazing cast. Beautiful aesthetics. I am. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Yeah. So it sounds like you're. You're picking up that, and I can understand the seduction that a big fantasy adaptation with the possibility of going many, many seasons might have is, yeah. 
why don't why don't we let the gravitational pull of Game of Thrones influence how this thing is going to play out, right? Because mm-hmm. that worked. That was a like that's our crossover serialized fantasy playbook. Like that's the one that yeah. that's not Lord of the Rings, which wasn't a TV show. And frankly, those are three movies, and then that were great, and then three that maybe shouldn't have existed or whatever right. in the form of the Hobbit one. So it's like. I could understand, like, to make this successful, look at the thing that was successful. I guess I don't know. I don't even know if I, I know enough about Wheel of Time to not know what I to know what I don't know about it in terms of tone, yeah. right? So you're saying that it is not. I, I don't know what's the, what's the closest tone that you can describe. Like, what pop culture tone is there a thing that like I could latch onto? It's like what's the model? Because like, I guess I thought of it as being pretty high fantasy, which it, it is, but it sounds like there's a there's a lightness to it. You're trying you're, you're suggesting yeah, that's there. it does. Like, what is I, that? like if 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 you know if Lord of the Rings is one end of a spectrum, and oh, Game okay. of Thrones is the other. Okay. Right. Um, Wheel of Time is a little bit towards the Lord of the Rings side uh, mm-hmm. from the half mark. Right. Okay. So like there right. are people who are struggling with what it means to be good, quote unquote, capital right. G good. But also there's definitely like there's evil and there's good. Which, like, mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, it's just like, no, everybody is morally compromised forever at the end. Like, no one is a good person. <laughs> right. We're all right. just looking out for our own self-interests. Goodbye. You know, yeah. so, like, that, it's not that. And I, I, that's my concern is that, like, I'm all for complicating questions of morality. Like, I think that's important. And I do think, like, the oversimplification of Lord of the Rings, you know, it works on a certain level, but it's not, you don't want to do that forever. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. Star Wars problem a little bit. Yeah. Too. I mean, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I guess the, the closest one that's out there is the shadow and bone stuff where you've got some good and bad, but you've got a kind of a, at least in the, how they're incorporating the, the six of crows band of, of miscreants. Mm. There's a little more gray area antihero stuff. Now I think it's more of a, thief with a heart of gold and just you know for, yes. the, for the right association you're okay but still mm-hmm. it's different than lord of the rings which there really isn't a no right yeah you're either corrupt or you're pure exactly um, exactly uh, which is pretty interesting so we look on that with great with great uh, excitement and trepidation and mm-hmm. uh everything else that's coming out i guess too um we're gonna get serialized we're getting serialized over time, and I don't even know. I haven't looked at like what the commitment is. Is it an eight, are these eight episodes we're doing for Wheel of Time? Do you know? Like, what are we? Looking uh, at I believe it is eight. I believe okay. that's right for season one. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing stuff. I know. Oof. I know. Okay, we'll check in for for those of you wondering about Foundation. My, I don't know. Rebecca and I might do a. She's never read it, and we might do. I don't think she's read Dune either. We're trying to decide what if what if anything to do around that. Here's my problem with getting too excited about Foundation. It's not Foundation's fault. It's I read it when I was 15. Yeah. I'm a different person than I was at 15, and mm-hmm. I haven't reread it. It's my brother's favorite book. My brother, who works in sound in Hollywood, was really trying to get on Foundation. Like He really wanted to work on it and everything else, and like he's very close to it. I like Lee Pace. I think who they've yeah. got cast could be exactly right. Mm-hmm. It's weirdly more of a book about ideas, yeah, then oh, it is actiony. Yeah, which I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Sci-fi. I don't even say it, fan culture at large is interested in right now. Maybe they will. Maybe it'll be a breath of fresh idea. Like, like oh, yeah. this is more about ideas and what ifs and consequence. It's more like it's almost more like Mad Men. I would say mm, insofar mm. it's about 
tone and relationship and positioning character. But that's not I what don't... we saw in that trailer. Well, that's not what you're going to show in the trailer. Of if course. they do it, if they do it the way I remember liking, look, what I'm trying not to say, which I was just going to come <laughs> out and say, it's a book that if you're 15, makes you feel like the smartest person in the world yes. for having read it and liked it. Especially if you're, let's call it what it is, a nerdy, white, straight dude uh, who likes books. Yep. You're very happy yeah. to be in on the foundation idea. And a lot in the way that for a while it was cool to be, it was the watchman of sci-fi for a while. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Does that sound fair? Does that vibe at all with what you yeah, understand? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah. I had that same experience. I just, Asimov did not stick with me for whatever reason. I read and, all of them, but it didn't And stick. we know now that Asimov, not a great guy. No, So there's that so going into yeah. it. So that's also, but... If you can grapple with that, your mileage may vary about how easy it is that is not to overlook or contextualize or at least live with, right? To have that mm-hmm, be in the room mm-hmm. as you're watching, consuming this stuff. Your mileage may vary. All of that. Here's what's interesting. They could all be wonderful. That's on yes, play. They could be. Yeah. But also what's in play is the other <laughs> side. Right? Yep. Yep. So and it's, reality it's very is they're high probably, stakes. Yeah, they're probably going to be somewhere in between. Like, they're probably yeah. not going to be the worst thing ever. They're probably not going to be the best thing ever. Like, they're probably going to be somewhere in between. I think what's also interesting is that the performance of each of them, the, the movie of Dune and the two series, I don't think it's set in stone for any of them that they're going to continue past the first iteration or whatever. I think depending how Dune does, there may be Dune movies. Depending how Wheel of Time does, there may be nine series. Depending on Foundation does, there could be nine seasons of that, too. It yeah. also could be that people hate it and it costs a jillion dollars, as said before. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, not so much with this particular wizards and magic and stuff. Uh, we'll do yeah. something else. So really interesting to see there. Um, we don't have too much time. The one I wanted <laughs> no, to bring up, I because I, we did this. This is fine. This is good. The okay. one I wanted to mention to with you while you're here is the supply chain stuff. Did you have a chance to look at the supply chain stuff at all? I did. I did. Especially because... I don't know if you've already talked about this on the show, but so we've we're bringing TBR fulfillment in house. We have right, as a talked company. about that element, but not that like macro supply chain stuff could affect us. I guess. So, yeah, yeah. So tell now me why that's interesting. Now we have to care again. So right. I so this so the the story uh, in PW and Publishers Weekly reported by Jim Milliot, uh is about the supply chain being very disrupted, possibly even worse than last year, which is saying mm. something. <laughs> And what publishing is like feeling and trying to do about this. So, so the, the TLDR is that not only do there continue to be issues of international transportation, like it's harder mm-hmm. to, because of COVID protocols uh, to, and disruptions of those things, you know, it's harder to ship things abroad and the bulk of printing is in China. And then also, you know, there are issues with the um, printing in China happening. It's not just that we can't get them here. It's that they can't even print them. There are shortages. And then once they get here, there are shortages of truck drivers and trailers to get the things from the ports to the warehouses that then distribute to the bookstores. So the the upshot of this for readers is that, you know, a lot of books are going to be hard to get this holiday season or starting now. A lot of books are going to starting be hard now. To get. I think starting it's starting now. now. I think it's, starting it's already now. Like, happening. It's already happening for the for the for the books that are coming out over the next few months, especially the ones that might sell out of their initial print runs, you mm-hmm. know, and, and some of them are bigger than others. So I don't actually think it's going to be the I don't know, Sally Rooney's of the world that just came out last week or the Colson Whiteheads like 
those are big books, but I don't think they're going to be like, I don't know, a runaway under the Christmas tree, people are buying them for their moms right. kind of book. Now, the right. one I'm looking at is like, we talked about this last time, the David Sedaris's of the world yeah. and yeah. the Susan Orleans of the world, like sort of the mass market nonfiction, especially that if you're not in on the first print run, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, right. I really wonder what's going to be out there. And then stuff that was out in the summer, now the stuff that came out in the summer, and I'm thinking of the big releases of the of the summer, like The Four mm-hmm. Winds by Kristen Hanna, the new Stephen King, things like that. They're now competing with the printing of these other first editions, That's the first right. printings of these new releases. As we've talked about, it's also a huge fall. So here's here's the story Jen just told you. There's not enough. The, we're having problems with the printers. We're having problems getting the books that even get managed to get printed to get on ships to come from China. If the ones get on ships from China, we're having trouble getting them into trucks that then to get to the stores to buy them or the warehouse they ordered from. And there's more books coming out this season than there were last season that are big books because they held off a lot of them. So there's like four things that could combine that I think it's going to be, it could be very difficult to get. I'm trying to look at, I'm I'm trying to see what is going to be the one like. I'm trying to think of the perfect example of the one that could come out and be a really tough get. Um, it doesn't look like there's a big cookbook kind of thing because salt, salt, fat, acid, heat was the poster child we used right. last season. Like you couldn't get that book because there was a TV show. I'm right. Think, well, I don't know. Maybe Dune. Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's a billion different editions of Dune there's out there, a, though. So no, you can that's get true. one of that's them. That's true. Um, you can get, or you can yeah. get a used one or foundation or something. Right, like that, right. That's interesting. Yeah, it it is. It's tricky. And, you know, I think and so so what everybody's saying to booksellers or anybody who like needs to provide books to readers, which includes us now for mm-hmm. TBR, right. is that like order up now, like order up now. But the stuff is already short. So it's like, OK, you're like, well, all right, so I'm going to try to order up. But also, I don't know what the big books are. I mean, oh, you know, here's an example of the What was the Oprah Book Club pick, Jeff? Um, uh, the Love Songs of W.B. Du Bois. Yes. It's already out of stock. Great. That's a great example because they probably didn't print all that many. They, they didn't, didn't know. Well, but they knew it was going to, they get noticed that it's going to be an Oprah book club pick. So it's possible that they ordered another print Do they get that print, print run stage, do you think? I mean, I, I guess they, they might. I don't know. But I don't, I also have no conception of how long it takes to like say like, hey, yeah, Oprah's going to pick this. Know. We need to print more. And then how long it takes to actually make that happen, especially in our current world. So like mm. that book is already out of stock. Probably you're not going to be able to get it. For the rest wow. of the year, I don't that's know. That's amazing. Know. Yeah, that's very possible. I was also thinking about the TikTok books. Yeah, the TikTok books. I wonder books about are the you know the like Adam Holly Silvera Hoover, book. you know, yes. or yeah, right. They're so. probably trying to supply those as much as possible. But that's one of those situations where you go if one of those a new book gets picked up on TikTok, say in the next six weeks, it's going to sell out because there yes. is not going to be another print run of some paperback that's right. that's that people right. decide to go get. Um, that's a that's a post we should do on the site actually it's like the next 10 books that tiktok should go nuts over because like there's sort of a formula or a little bit of formula now like especially it seems to be like non-hetero love stories that are end tragically seems to be one that's like the Circe's and they both die Mm, and some other stuff mm. here's a here's a hot tip the confessions of max tivoli for those of you who like that kind of book it's a book no one talks about anymore i really liked Mm. uh Go check it out. That if that sells out next week, I'm gonna laugh. But <laughs> that I think that would be the one. It's the one you don't expect because of what you're saying to do as a consumer of books, not as a supplier that needs to order, is 
If there's a book you want, go out and pre-order or order it now to get ahead of the line. So there's a finite number of copies. Just speak for yours, whenever that's going to look like. Yeah, or be willing to like diversify. Like, Because I think that, you know, Mm -hmm. this is a great opportunity. I mean, this sucks for those authors, for the publishers, for everybody who wants those books and can't get it. There's no doubt that this is a huge bummer and is going to impact a lot of people's bottom lines in a not great way. But this is also an opportunity for us all to look around and see what else is interesting. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're constantly talking, like you were just saying, there's all of these great books, whether they're newly released or they're older, that can fill a certain book-shaped hole in your reader life. That's right. And like maybe it takes a little more digging because they're not getting the ad dollars. They're not getting the big write-ups in, you know, the different periodicals. They're not getting reviewed on TikTok or whatever. But like there are great books out there. So I would encourage everybody to be flexible and like uh, the thing you want is out ask a bookseller ask a friend do some googling about what might be similar that you could get because i guarantee you there's another great book that you can get instead of the one that you can't get and and then you know eventually those other books will come back in stock and we will get them and we will read them and we hope that it happens sooner than later but yeah we're all gonna have to we're all gonna have to be a little flexible about this and it's gonna it's gonna be recall, hard. I don't ever recall a situation in which I was looking for a print version of a book and couldn't get it because it was out of stock. I don't know what that says about me and my habits, but this is something I've never ever ever thought about. It's I mean, weird. I I tried to get a picture book for my nephew oh, and had to put yeah. it on back order, uh, re- like in the last few months. Um, yeah. And I don't know that that was necessarily. I don't know what that was related to specifically, but mm-hmm. but it did take a while to come back in. So yeah. you know, I. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I read so much digitally, Jeff, which is a story we didn't get to, which is ebook use. I'm going to put up. this in the show notes because this is one yeah. Rebecca and I have been doing this recently. Rather than talk about the thing, just say, hey, this is a really good long read. Go check it out. Link in the show notes, New Yorker, about ebooks. Some of the backs, have you, did you read the whole article, Jen, or did you just skim it, or what did you do? I, I read most of it. <laughs> yeah. gonna, well, if I'm you read the first me. half, the early, like the origin story of Overdrive is fascinating. <laughs> really yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. And then that turns into Libby and what, you know, what they say. And, you know, there's some, there's, it sounds like there's some drama about the co-founders of, you know, what they were doing. Really good long read there about eBooks and libraries, especially. That's a good point. You could always, if you, if you, if you yourself just want to read the thing, digital and audio yes. is going to be there. What I'm looking right now, Rib King's in stock. You can get it tomorrow. Um, for all of you out there. So let's sell that book th- there's, out. Let's sell that book out. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. As always, you can find thank show you. notes. Um, you're not going to hear me at the end because Rebecca and I do the interview. Show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. You can listen to Jen talk about sci-fi and fantasy with Sharifa on SFF Yeah. And also you can hear um, Jen and Amanda on Get Booked where they field uh, listener recommendation requests. Oh, before, has there been a 2021 book that's elicited re- recommendation requests? Is there anyone that's like, I want another one of these that come out this year? Oh, shoot. I w- that's on probably, the spot. I know that's yes. tough. Probably, okay. yes. But nothing jumps to mind. That's, that's telling. Right, not off the, the top of my head. All right. Jen, thanks so much. Uh, at the end of the year, we'll get together and hold hands on this show and talk about <laughs> the adaptations. <laughs> Sounds we should good. do that. That would be fun. We we'll should. go back through we should. All right. Talk to you later. Today's episode is brought to you by Scribner. Weird Black Girls by Elwyn Cotman is a collection of seven stories in which characters pursue their obsessions on paths to glory and destruction, while all around them their worlds twist and warp, oscillating between reality and impossibility. On display throughout is Cotman's ability to reveal truths about the human experience, about things like friendship, love, betrayal, bitterness. 
all through whimsy, horror, and fantasy. Elegiac in tone, imaginative, and humorous in their execution, the character-driven stories in Weird Black Girls challenge, incite, and entertain. The author's last book was named one of NPR's Best Books of the Year and was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award, with reviews appearing in the New York Times, Wired, BuzzFeed, and Locus, among other publications. Definitely make sure to check out Weird Black Girls by Elwyn Cotman. And thanks again to Scribner for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. All right, listeners, for this next section of the podcast, uh, Jeff and I have the privilege, luxury, I don't know, I'm going vocabulary. Pleasure behind the Pleasure, curtain. there it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's Tuesday after Labor Day. My brain is in Monday, um, but it's nothing personal. We are here speaking with Cree Miles, uh, who is the magic, not even completely behind the curtain. She's um, on the screen of the new Instagram account, Always Black, which is a um, platform that Penguin Random House has developed and has partnered with her to specifically promote and celebrate works by Black writers. Um, so we are really excited to have her here with us today. Thanks so much, Cree. Thank you. I'm thrilled. That's not flattery. That's for reals. <laughs> we, we need some sort of like, um, someone should develop an app. Like, was that for real or is that flattery? And there's like oh a little needle gosh. that says, uh, I think that's one of those things that maybe we don't want to know. So we were <laughs> super excited to see this project get off the ground. Um, and super excited that Kree agreed to talk to us about it for a few minutes for a couple of different reasons. Longtime listeners of the show, even new listeners of the show know that we've been watching with great interest what publishing is doing around inclusivity and marginalized voices. Um, we've also watched with great interest the rise of Bookstagram and Rebecca, I think it's fair to say after us, social media accounts, when we first, we, you know, Twitter was the thing when we started yes. doing social media in real way. And we ourselves are not huge into the more modern, dare we say, um, <laughs> social media accounts. And Cree knows what's up when it comes to bookstagramming. So I, I guess our first question is, how did you get started? What's your been experience been like? Like, what do people who don't know about bookstagram, what should they know about bookstagram? Yes, my bookstagram story of origin. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of twofold, right? So the first reason that I even kind of started reading again as an adult was because my first first date with my he, well, it was a date, but he, I turned, ended up marrying him. Whoa. Um, 
the first question Brian asked me was, what was the last book that you read? And I hadn't read a book in two years. I had been out of college for two years. But the last book I had read was Angela Davis's autobiography. So still street cred. Yeah, yeah. Regardless. So I say that and then we're sitting there. We're at a concert and I'm reading the pamphlet and I see Lorraine Hansberry wrote Raisin in the Sun Mm -hmm. and that she went to Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin. And I'm from Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So I tell my, I mean, he wasn't my husband. I tell Brian, I was like, oh, my gosh, did you know Lorraine Hansberry went to the University of Wisconsin? And he looked at me like I had like four heads. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, of course. And I was like, okay, this biracial man is not about to know more about Black women than me. So I just went home and literally ordered like $250 worth of books and was like, I'm going to read all of the books. Mm. So that was kind of how it started. And then I took to the internet because I read Bluest Eye oh. and nobody around me had read it. And I just remember like putting it down and looking at it like it had just cast a spell on me. Mm-hmm. So um, I just took to the interwebs because I was like, somebody will be able to freak out about this with me. And um, that just that's how it started. So that's where that's that was my entry point. That's like wonderful. all good projects, it got started by settling an interrelationship score. It sounds like this is not this is not the first time this has ever happened. <laughs> Every time, it's just I'm just competitive. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so it sounds weird. like icing on the cake that you ended up married to him because if all that first date led to was eventually reading Toni Morrison, like that's still a big win. And honestly, I thought that was the point of the date. Like after I left, because you know people in like assigning reason to things, I was like, oh, I definitely went out with this rando so that I would read more. Uh, but yeah. here we are. Yeah. Here we the are. universe through a dating so... app or whatever sent me the sign I needed to get on the Morrison train. <laughs> yeah. so how, yeah. how long ago was that? And did you just, was it straight to Instagram? Was it like you and Instagram and Toni Morrison and the rest of history? <laughs> um, so it was about six or seven years. And um, there was a lot of trial and error. Like I, I did a blog for a while and then I realized... I've always wanted, like, my deepest desire is for people who seem like in a totally different realm than Toni Morrison Mm. to want to engage with her. Mm. So I was like, it would not make sense for me to write a blog because I'm trying to get people who don't read to read. So then I was like, oh, but a video would be kind of fun. And then I like stumble on and see like booktube. That's kind of what I saw first. And I was like, oh, this is so white. Like, Mm. it's just Uh like, cozy sweaters and mugs and I'm like I (laughs) read right and tall socks and I'm like this is cute but like where's the revolution and so um I was just like I'm just gonna come here and be like uncomfortably black just to see what happens and it's it's been fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that would be a great Instagram handle also (laughs) uncomfortably black amen Uh, How did, I guess that's a nice segue into our next question then. How did this gig with PRH and Always Black come about for you? Um, yeah, so I am in community with Bellatrist and I whenever I have an idea and I want it to be as big as possible, I always text Kara Price first. And so I text Kara like a year and a half before 
the readathon happened. And I was like, we should have a virtual readathon. It would be so cool. And we like go back and forth about it, but then it kind of gets shelved. And then the pandemic happens. And then um, last summer happens and Kara hits me up and is like, we should really do this now because we, I feel like we could, we'd have lay of the land. And so it was obvious to me that I wanted the first author to be celebrated to be Toni Morrison. And it just like PRH has her books. So -hmm. then Kara got us to sit down with them and they loved every second of the idea. And so it was the black, like we never black, like we never left readathon from that. um, The first one was January earlier this year. And so that's how I got in community with everyone. And it just, it did really well. I, people really were inboxing me like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know about Beloved. And like a part of that, like as book lovers, you know, that stings a little bit, but Mm. then it's also like, but this is what I did it for. So thank you. And I'm glad that you all are reading, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We did a survey. Beloved is one of our shared favorites also. And we did a survey earlier, I can't, earlier this year or late last year of like- This year, yeah. This year of like popular titles, big, important books, stuff that we loved. And we asked our listeners to tell us which of those they had read. And we shared your disappointment in what percentage of folks said that they had read Beloved. But you're right. It is just more space for more people to discover. Her. And we've yeah. been screaming at it for years. I mean, like it's yeah. what Rebecca and I early bonded over a shared appreciation of Morrison. We did a Toni Morrison day on the site. Rebecca wrote a reading pathway. Like if you're just new to Toni Morrison here, so it's like if anyone should have been worn out by us talking about Toni Morrison on this show, (laughs) they should. And still like 39% of respondents said they read it, which I guess is probably a lot better than the gen pop uh, base Mm -hmm. rate. But still like there's, there's so much work to be done still of getting people to try and Morrison's intimidating. And, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways, even just on the page, you open beloved to page, you read three pages, like, okay, I'm in a different planet and that's good. And that's what we like. But it need, people need a mode of entry. So it's pretty exciting to have the publisher on board and all that they bring. And then like people willing to play along with you. I think that's one of the most exciting things, right? Is yeah. when some people are willing to play along. Yeah. And I can say that like, I, I my children too loud. I can tell my brother to take them outside. You know it's what? just real Whatever. life. It's just okay. real life. This <laughs> okay. year, it's all, it's all on the table. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but like, in my like advanced lit class in high school, we read Beloved, right? And I'm 18 yeah. and it's the only black author that we pulled and she's a woman and I'm the only black girl in the class. So oh obviously I'm standing hard, but I had no idea what was happening in the book. I'm just mm. going along. And when people are saying dumb stuff, I'm just fighting because I, t- I personally felt responsible for Tony at that moment. <laughs> but like, so reading Bluest Eye as a 25 year old, um, that was actually my point of entry, yeah. you know, because yeah. then it was like, and so now I've read that and jazz and tar baby and I get it. So I just feel a part of that feels irresponsible to me. Like, why are you having 18 year olds yes. just read beloved? The older I get, the more appalled I am by that as anyone's entry point into Toni Morrison, especially as an 18 year old, like you're so young, you don't fully yeah. grasp it yet. It's a really it's just, it's a difficult book. I'm almost 40 and it remains a difficult book to see. We with. still don't know what's happening no. in right. that chapter when it's um, crawling already, baby. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like, there's no punctuation. Nobody knows still what's going on in that chapter. Yeah, it's, it is interesting that, so I think that's one thing, Rebecca and I've talked about this in various points too, is that 
once you're out of high school, say, and you don't major in English, or even if you do major in English, you get spat out into the mewling earth as a 22 year old. Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do then pick up beloved on your own? Like the only thing worse than picking up at 18 in a class is when you're 24 and have no purchase. And you're like, what is this? So that sense of how are you going to find some foothold? And Morrison's a good example because not only she and black and woman, very, very technically difficult, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of a sign for all sorts of things where people don't have a point of entry for, right? And that seems like one of the things always black is trying to do is giving people something to hold on to, some reason to try something, some reason to know about something. Does that sound right? Or how else would you describe what your mission is going to be over there now that you're sort of branching out out of the Morrisonia? Well, no, I actually, I love that concept of always black as a point of entry, because I do think I've always loved creating content. Like I, the YouTube started when I was like a sophomore in high school. And so there are like silly vlogs of me floating around the internet. Um, So I've always wanted to do that. But like, as I was finding my footing, I was like, all like beauty, cool, but vapid, and mm. like fast fashion never like stop so <laughs> how can i like i know one of my gifts as a human on this planet is just engagement so what would be a responsible thing to try to get people to engage in and so that's you're right it, i'm just always trying to do a point of entry and i think that's why like we have the word of the weeks because um it's just a fun song that I rap over. It's a vocabulary word that I rap over a, a popular beat. And people have been like, oh, that's from what book? Da, 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 da. Mm. And that's so, that's wonderful for me. And then actually working with Penguin Random House, I feel like a part of me has been like a black canon purist for a while. So mm. like it's all Zora, it's all Tony, it's all Baldwin, it's all Alice. And now like we, I have to know what's like presently happening as well. And I think I had this ridiculous notion that like the best has already happened. Like mm. there, there are only like maybe three, like Jasmine Ward and Tanahasi, and that's it. And but like as, Right. And Colson. But I'm like, as I'm reading, like I'm reading Dear Cynthia right now. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God. Like, Have you had a chance to listen to it on audio? No, it's- I listened to the death of Vivek Oji on audio, but uh, not this one. I've been reading it. Dear Cynthia was it was my first experience with them on audio and it is yeah. bonkers good. So go back to that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just like, that's been a privilege for me to realize that the canon is still happening real time in front of my face. Like, Tony's gone, but there are, there are still giants just walking around the planet Mm -hmm. with me. And I'm so honored by that and just excited that I get to push their work. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear, and this is definitely something Jeff and I were wondering about beforehand. That you approached Penguin Random House with the concept for this. We we didn't know, you know, who sort of initiated the relationship, and knowing that you had this idea and you went to them, and that it it was sort of born with Toni Morrison, but now you're branching out. Um, we're really curious about sort of what the behind the scenes planning for the content looks like, like what's the balance between, if there is any, um, between like what you pick um, to curate and to feature and what Penguin Random House um, is putting up for promotion or how does how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So just to be clear, I approached them about the readathon, but then the creative director, Carly Gorga, reached mm-hmm. back out to me a few months ah. later about okay. the platform. So it was just like, I guess they were planning the platform anyway. And they were like, why was the readathon so successful? And Carly was like, Cree. 
like that mm-hmm. you'd have to bring Cree in if you wanted the platform to do the same thing. So that's how that happened. Um, but as far as planning, I really am. I basically have creative control over any of the books that are uplifted, which is really exciting. Um, And I think this is where I lean on the Black Bookstagram community a lot because I can't read everything. And so I'm always like taking temperature checks from the um, influencers that I trust. Like, okay, I haven't gotten to this yet, but if I push it out on pub day, have you read it? And they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It's so good. So um, it's been kind of collaborative in that way, but most of I mean, all of the books that come through are curated by me. And then most of the ideas are also my brainchild. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. I was looking at uh, Instagram and you had your September, you know, black book releases that you were highlighting. And I, I could tell there was more autonomy than maybe would have guessed even five or six years ago, Rebecca. I don't know if you would agree mm-hmm. with me on this because Whitehead wasn't the one, one of the ones on there, which is fine, which is great because Whitehead's going to get enough play in sort of mainstream worlds. Like, oh, they're not sort of quote unquote making her put Harlem Shuffle on there because that's one of the big literary... I was like, oh, that that seemed to me there was a lot more autonomy. That was an indication to me that there was quite a bit of autonomy there. Yeah, exactly. And I I still, I have to read. I haven't read anything by Colson Whitehead yet in my life, which is mm. ridiculous. Oh, which well, is also well, cool and okay. I mean, that's another really thing. Cool, you know, that's really a cool and okay. It is really cool and okay. And um, we have... Uh, a long-standing declaration on this podcast that since Toni Morrison passed, Colson Whitehead is the greatest living American novelist. So okay. we're we get to feel right now that excitement that you have about getting to introduce your audience to Toni Morrison. We I'm personally feeling stoked that you're going to get to read Colson Whitehead. I am shook at this heavy statement that you just put on Colson's head. Now I have to read something by him. <laughs> I mean, if you have nine hours to hear our deliberations. If you've got nine hours, I can do the whole thing. We've done this dance before. And let me say this, that I actually don't think it's that controversial, no. frankly. Yes. I, I yeah. think we're, we're actually presently referring to him as greatest living American novelist and future Nobel Prize winner. But, yeah. what, but Alice Walker's still alive. Well, oh. we can do this. We can do this if you want, Cree. And, and reasonable, come back. reasonable people can disagree. <laughs> reasonable people can disagree. Let's just say that. Of course. I think, yes. I, I think that when you, Underground Railroad enters your life, okay, you will still continue to love Alice Walker and Colson Whitehead is the greatest. Oh my gosh. Novelist. I'm so excited. And I would never think that the greatest living American novelist once Tony passed would be like, it would be a man. So now I'm super mm. intrigued. Yeah, and again, that's that's our corner. That's our that's our hot take. Uh, go with it where you want to. But you know, the, the long and it's something you were saying earlier that struck that has struck a chord with me recently. As you know, the black canon now is as a tradition has enough people where you can have a black canon, but it was always in ones and twos, as you sort of said. And now, yeah. the depth chart is wild, and it spans genres, which I think is something new in how people, especially like mainstream literary culture, think about black writing. Is that there's black romance writers that are, you know, at the top of the field. There are black yeah. sci-fi writers that are at the top of the, the field and memoirs and essays and humor and LBTQ plus and the whole situation, which is new under the sun, in my estimation, of how American sort of literary culture has thought about black people. How have you dealt with genres? What's your genre experience been been like and how do you think about it going into the future? Um, I... 
It's exciting, first of all. I think, like, my entry point for sci-fi was Ursula Le Guin Mm -hmm. and, um, like, geek out hard over Ursula. And so when I found Octavia Butler a few years later and then I found N.K. Jemisin a few years later, I was like, oh, this is so fun. Like, I can't – I didn't know until I knew. And I'm just – I'm excited for – all of the the children, I guess, coming yeah, behind right. who just get to have options. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and what's been really interesting for me is like, now that I'm an adult, um, I can sit and read Hemingway and I can read Tolstoy and I can read Nobokov and like appreciate them because I also had books that I felt seen in. Mm-hmm. But like when you're sitting in a classroom and that's what they're handing you and they don't give you anything, like mm-hmm. it's just, it's insulting almost. It's insulting to them because mm-hmm. they are excellent writers and it's insulting to the child who just wants to see a character like them. And then once you feel seen, you can go deal with other things that might not directly speak to you, you know? So I, whatever gets people into it so then they can go explore everything. I will, I'm, that's my hope. Yeah, what's been the most surprising thing for you now that you're a couple months into the project with Always Black? Um, I think honestly, the the territory is so uncharted. Like teaming up with the biggest publishing house in the world, I thought that. But that doesn't mean that this isn't new for everyone, you know? So that's like, that's been the thing. So we still have like, the team is amazing and their expertise is phenomenal. And the way that they can streamline and systematize things that have like up until this point just been my passion project has been beautiful. Um, But it's still like, we just kind of still sit at the table and just come fresh every day. Like, do you think we could send one a birthday present? Do you think, like, it's just like, you still need they said yes to that. Oh, we're it? working on it. We're no, working okay, on it. Right. Okay, his birthday is until the end of the month, so I can't okay. say right. in case it doesn't happen, but we're trying really hard. <laughs> I don't think he listens to this show. Although... <laughs> yeah. You never know because I don't like he follows me, but he never ever comments until like I'm sure he's not there, and then he'll pop up and say a whole bunch of stuff. I'll be like, oh my gosh, oh, he's man. paying attention. <laughs> Yeah. I need to continue believing that he doesn't listen to this show so that I can function as a human being. I get it. You can assume that Cree's got more uh, eyeballs on what she's doing over there yeah. than, than yours I think over so. here. I think but so. I think that's interesting. I think that point is something that people who listen to our show, for example, who are interested in the book industry, but they're usually not in it, though hello out there to you, I know some of you are, mm-hmm. is that the future is yet to be written still about new ways of marketing, new ways of doing publicity, new ways of talking about books. Like that's something we've cared about from the beginning is like, it's not just reviews in the New York Times. That's not the only way yeah. to our books. Mm-hmm. And the explosion, we're still pretty close to the big bang of universal expansion about ways of talking about books in public and peer to peer. And that was something that surprised us too, as we worked with publishers, we worked with advertisers as well and continue to find out is they're catching up too. They're yeah. trying to figure it out. There is no wise woman on the mountain with the tablets that say, this is how you do it. And this is what will work. And this is what will get people's attention. So that at, at some, at some points that's terrifying, but if you can get past the terror, kind of like jumping out of a plane with a parachute on, then it's exhilarating because then it's freedom and, and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and I've, I've talked to Penguin about that. Like we've talked about 
how they've had to adjust to how things are happening. And honestly, one of my early strategies when I started was I would watch what other influencers were doing, like the super popular like beauty influencers, and I would just try and apply it to a book. And so Mm -hmm. like as I watched Drake roll out his album, I'm like, this was brilliant. Like how how do you do this with a book? Mm-hmm. We don't want to get you out of here without asking specific book related questions, maybe. So let's let's give you a softball. Maybe it's a softball. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, what's blown your hair back of late that you've read? What's new to you that that blew you away? Dear Cynthia. All right. You already gave it to us. You already hit the home run. I'm like, I wonder if she can hit a home run. Okay. Fine. Thanks a lot. For that. Yeah, um, I can't. I, I I was flying out to San Diego while I was reading it and just ugly crying. Like, I, I don't even people like the stewardess kept being like, are you OK? I was like, it's the book. I'm fine. It's the book. Um, yeah, a Quake. I've said it's rivaling Sister Outsider for me. So mm-hmm. I it's brilliant. It's brilliant. They're brilliant. They're brilliant. I can't even say it enough. And what is something that you're hoping to do on Always Black in the future or maybe an upcoming plans that you'd like to tease for our audience here while you have everybody? Yeah, so I would love, I have aspirations of like an Always Black Awards. Like Mm. Bookstagram doesn't have any type of um, acknowledgement ceremony or anything that happens. And we work hard on there. So if there's any way that I could do something like that, I think it would be cool. I would love for to books have... to grammars, not a books to grammar nominated award for like a book, but like, you know, best, uh, I don't know, uh, LBGQ plus account yeah. or something like that. Or is yes. that what you imagine? Yeah. I'm think- and I would love to also like stir it in with black writers as well. Like any way mm-hmm. that we can incorporate the entire community. Cause I always want it to be like in conversation and um, I would love like Megan the stallion to come do a Ooh. word of the week. So, you know, <laughs> you know, just mild aspirations. Yeah. Mild aspirations. <laughs> you always have to lob, you have to lob the basketball from the half point line. I do it. <laughs> I do it every single week. I have something on my to-do list that is like, what scares me? Okay, let's do it. Mm love that approach. Well, Creed, thank you so much for taking time with us today. Um, Tell the folks where they can find you on the internet. Yes. So Always Black is A-L-L-W-A-Y-S-B-L-A-C-K on Instagram and follow us to hang out with Word of the Weeks. We talk to authors all of the time and, you know, more stuff is coming as well. Yeah. Follow to find out what ta gets for his birthday. (laughs) We'll, We'll put a link in the show notes there as well. And, um, you know, whenever Cree is ready to come talk to us about how we're wrong about Colson, you're welcome. Back. Yeah, so, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm going to read. Is it what, what's the what's the crown jewel? Is it Underground oh. Railroad? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, we, this this is something we developed a while ago. It's like there's the pinnacle. There's the there's the summit. Right. But do you do you as a beginning climber, do you start with the summit or do you go with the foothill? So we have this idea called a reading path. Like it's where you want to end up versus where you start. So okay. with Whitehead, I think you could start with Underground Railroad. I, I think you okay. could. Rebecca, do you agree? with Yeah, that? I think that you could. And it has some of the it has some surrealist elements that will feel familiar to you from Toni Morrison. Yeah, um, okay. I think you could start there. It is the top of the mountain, though. 
And I did just have the experience of going back and rereading one of his earlier novels. And it's wild to go back and reread like Colson Whitehead's second novel and be like, wow, this is a really great second novel. But oh, my God, this guy becomes the person who writes The Underground Railroad. I Um, get it. The range, the range, I think, is the the, the fact the special sauce we think about Whitehead because he does all sorts of different kinds of things. I think the intuition is the first one looking at as a freshman novel that came out in 1999. It's this weird blend of speculative fiction and historical social commentary. Uh It's a wild one too. So I I don't know there's a bad place to start. I think we don't to, 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 to go back to, to Ms. Walker for a second. He doesn't have yet the color purple and and sort of like, that's a forever book um, in the American canon, Mm -hmm. but some of that is time. You know, some of that is time. I would love to catch him before his forever book. Then that's great. You might, the the wave might be cresting. We'll see. You you know, yeah, there's, there's no wrong time um, for sure. But uh, Cree, thank you so much for your time. Really exciting to see what you're doing and things that, things that we didn't imagine possible 10 years ago when we were trying to figure out what Book Riot was about. Um, And so thrilled to see your success there and the kinds of exploratory ways of talking to people about books. I don't think anything gets me more excited than people Mm -hmm. figuring out new ways to talk to other readers um, and and would-be readers, especially about books. So um, excellent and well done. Amen. Thank you so much for having me.